Good morning, everybody. Thank you, worship team. Just such a wonderful privilege to be with you this morning. Um, we're going to be all over the Bible, uh, so there's no one place that you can go to this morning, um, but all the scriptures will come up on the slides behind us. Um, we are starting a new series today. It is exciting. We've just finished a series, a four-part series, looking at Jesus in the Psalms. And today we start quite a, quite a, quite a lengthy series called Price Tags. And really the heart of the series is to look at different aspects of the Christian life and life in general and then to understand the price tags that are attached to them. So what it would cost you to pursue something in a godly way, what it costs you to honor God in certain areas and aspects of your life, and then also the price that's associated with not doing them the way God wants us to. So this morning we kick off that series, and uh, the first sermon is going to be on prioritizing God, price tags with regards to prioritizing God. And I'm going to start off by reading a few statements that are from my life that I can relate to. And uh, you don't have to put up your hand if you can relate to them. The 8 o'clock, I told them not to do it, and they gave themselves away by laughing at what I had to say. So laugh, put up your hand, you don't have to. But these are some statements that are true of me. And I often find when I'm up here, I'm confessing stuff. Uh, so just know that God has worked this through in my life in ways that I can't explain. Um, so I'm in the same boat as you as the Lord ministers to this morning. I wish I had more time to read my Bible. I would, I would journal every day, but I have so many other things to do, I just can't seem to get around to it. I really should pray more, but when I tend to try and pray for longer than I normally do, I can't focus, and so I think I'll just stick to what I know. I want to start praying and reading more and journaling, but I just haven't got there yet, but I will get there one day. On Monday, I'll start. These phrases are often things that I hear from people in the church, but more often than not, they're, they're phrases and things that I say, they're excuses that I make in my walk with the Lord. But as I listen to them and as I hear myself saying them, I'm often challenged with the truth that when I'm saying these things, I'm speaking about time spent with the living God. I'm speaking about time spent with God who has transformed my life. And when I put it like that, these sentences and these excuses suddenly don't hold as much weight as I thought they would. They're not as light and as insignificant as they seem, and they don't seem to hold water. We all know life is going to be busy. When you're younger, you wish that you were an adult because you get to do more cool stuff but as you become an adult, you realize life just gets busier and busier. Life is always going to be busy from the daily responsibilities of family, work, school, varsity, self-development you know, um, in terms of your personal life, health-wise. All these things and more make for a really, really busy life. And I, and I know I'm preaching to people who probably have busier lives than me. But here's the thing that begins to happen in the life of many Christians, and it has happened in mine, as life gets busier and busier and busier, so time with God gets moved down the priority list. And sometimes altogether gets completely removed. Am I sounding okay? Sounds very weird. And quite honestly, church, I found in my life when I've been so busy, 
and I've moved God down the priority list. And for some people, you can relate to this. God has sometimes completely been removed from your priority list. It's then and it's in those moments that there's a lack of radiance. There's a lack of joy. There's a lack of zeal and passion. There's a lack of experiencing kingdom living the way that we see it described to us in the Scriptures. Because our prioritizing of God is missing. If I look at my own life, I think one of the main reasons Christians lack experiencing life with God as described in the Scriptures is because they've prioritized other things over and above relationship with the Lord and time with Him. Our devotion is to other things. God no longer becomes or is a priority for us. And I think one of the reasons for this, and this is where the tagline for the series comes in, the reason why it's so easy to, to move God down the priority list is because of the cost involved with prioritizing God. Things are going to need to be given up in order to prioritize God the way we know in our hearts we should. And sadly enough, in my life there have been times where I haven't been willing to pay that cost because I've put my own personal needs in front of my actual real spiritual ones. My perceived physical needs, my perceived mental emotional needs have, 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 have trumped my real need to be at the feet of my Father. But Jesus in the book of Luke chapter 14, he's, he's speaking to a bunch of would-be followers who are following him. And Jesus recognizes that people would easily follow him because he's the next fad or because he's doing great things. He's turning water into wine. He's turning water, I mean, he's turning fish and bread into a a, a multitude of loaves of bread and fish to feed thousands of people. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. And Jesus turns to the crowd who's following him as well as to his disciples who are with him. And he says this to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Often people get confused with regards to what Jesus is saying here. How can Jesus on the one hand be calling us to love even our enemies and then tell us to hate mother, father, brother and sister? What Jesus is doing here is he's using an extreme example to highlight what our love and devotion should look like to Him when compared with our love and devotion to other people. He's saying your love for Him should look and should be so great that your love for other people would look like hate when compared to your love for Him. What Jesus is speaking about here, what He's highlighting, is a call for us to make Him our absolute and number one priority and to love Him and to be devoted to Him and to be disciplined in the pursuit of of God and to prioritize Him above and beyond anything and anyone and everything else. It's to prioritize relationship with Him. It's to turn our hearts towards Him. It's to desire Him above anything else. Jesus is concerned with our hearts when He's speaking about this. He's, he's not necessarily talking about things that you do in the physical. He's first talking about our hearts. He's saying, your heart has to be turned towards me. Prioritizing God and making Him number one on your priority list is a matter first and foremost of the heart. And God takes our hearts and He does a work in our hearts and He turns us towards Him and causes us to desire to be with Him. But there's this responsibility that also exists for us to step out in obedience and to be disciplined in our pursuit of the Lord. 
But it's very clear that this is a heart thing. Our discipline and our pursuit and our priority of God and our prioritizing of God is as a result of our heart. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. Jeremiah 29, 13, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And then the greatest commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Following Jesus and prioritizing God is a matter of the heart. It's a work that God does to create a desire in us, which then should overflow into a disciplined pursuit and prioritizing of God. This is the life of a Christian whose life has been turned upside down by the Lord. There is a work God does in transforming our hearts, but then there is also a role, church, that we play in pursuing God. And I think sometimes in my own life I've made an excuse for not growing and prioritizing God as if that needs to happen by osmosis. I'm saved by faith through grace alone, and somehow I think that I'm going to grow like that only as well. There is a work God does, and then there's a responsibility we have to be disciplined in the prioritizing of God and the pursuit of godliness. In other words, our growth and our prioritizing of God is something He does and we do. The Lord fills us with His Spirit, and part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And self-control and discipline are very tightly connected. God gives us His Spirit. We have the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Part of that is self-control. And so as God empowers us by the Spirit to be self-controlled, so we are able to control ourselves and discipline ourselves towards godliness. That's why Paul is able to say to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 6, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. This is something God does. By the grace of God, Timothy, you are saved. By the grace of God, you've received what you've received from your mother and your grandmother who are faithful in the faith. But also, as you've received graciously from the Lord, not by your, not by your works, but by grace, so now also be disciplined in the pursuit of God. I've just found this to be true in my own life as well, that my ability to experience God, my ability to step into the things that God has for me, my ability to, in a sense, step into and have what's on the pages of Scripture step out into my life and me to experience it and live it, all boils down to how much I prioritize God and how much I prioritize my time with Him. And just how much I prioritize that boils down to two simple questions. Just how valuable is Jesus to you just how valuable is he to you is he your treasure is that where your heart is at is he the pearl of great price is he the one that you will give everything in your life for and are you willing to pay the price that comes with the disciplined pursuit of god i think about my own life and exercise and hard work in the sports field arena and I realize that athletes put themselves through years and years and years and years of training. And many of us can relate to this, whether it's work, on the sports field, wherever it is. You, we, we plow ourselves in disciplined and we train hard just to get recognition or to perhaps win a piece of metal that's either gold, silver or bronze, which fades away. And people spend their lives disciplined in the pursuit of these things. But when it comes to God. Very few people are actually willing to pay the price that comes with prioritizing Him and experiencing the kingdom in ways that they wish they could, but don't 
because he's played second fiddle to other needs. Jesus in John chapter 15 verse 4 to 6 says this very clearly. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burnt. This word remain speaks of an ongoing remaining. It's remain in me and go on remaining. It's a work. It's an effort. It's something we have to choose to do as a result of what God has done in us. This doesn't happen by accident. This remaining is a deliberate choice to come over and over again to the feet of Jesus. And you do that because you prioritized him. This word remain also is translated abide. It's make your home in. And so Jesus is inviting you to make your home in him, to abide in him. And as you abide in him, so he abides in you. There's this beautiful synergy that exists with us and with the Lord. And God does something and we do something, but I think we miss the we do something a lot of the times. When I was sharing this with Mandy, she wanted to make this point very clear. All right? My wife is brilliant at refining what I have to say so I don't get into trouble. I am not suggesting at all in any way that we are saved through discipline or by discipline. We are saved not by spending time with God, but through faith by grace alone. That is how we are saved. Right? Just want to make that very clear. Discipline has never saved anybody and can never save anybody. Discipline in and of itself May, we may think it's a virtue, but it is not. Discipline is important and is necessary because of who it puts us in front of. Because of what it causes us to do and whose feet we end up at when we are disciplined in the pursuit of God. Does that make sense? It's like the spiritual disciplines are not in and of themselves virtuous, but it's because those disciplines place us at the feet of Jesus that they become valuable. But it's being with Jesus that's most important. But discipline is still required and I don't think as a culture we like to hear this word discipline that much because it grates against the flesh and we are confronted often with our selfishness, well, at least I am, when I think about having to be disciplined. And so I wanted to just spend some time on, on what discipline is and what it isn't because pursuing God and prioritizing God is closely linked to discipline. You need to be disciplined in order to be able to do that. So we're going to root what discipline is and isn't in this passage of Scripture that Paul speaks to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 to 10 says this Paul writing to Timothy says but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women or old wives tales on the other hand discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness for bodily discipline is of only a little benefit but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men. Church, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, discipline yourself. This disciplining, I alluded to it earlier, the word, it's a fancy, it's, 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 a, it's a present imperative tense. In other words, it's for now and it's ongoing. Paul says to Timothy, discipline yourself now. Now you should be disciplined in the pursuit of God and godliness and go on disciplining yourself 
in the pursuit of God and godliness. This means that no matter how long you've walked with the Lord and how long you're going to walk with the Lord, it never stops being true for you that you need to discipline yourself in prioritizing God. It's like staying in shape physically. I don't know if you can relate to this, but you can try as hard as you want to be as disciplined as you want and then to stop. And I wish my body would just stay where I left it, right? But it never does. You can be disciplined in the pursuit of physical health and good eating for 25 years and you might reap some residual benefits for some time. But if you go back to eating the stuff that you know that you shouldn't and never getting off the couch, it doesn't matter how long you've been disciplined for, you're eventually going to become heavier. You've got to keep at it. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Discipline is an ongoing thing. And I think sometimes we, we, we don't like the idea of us having to do something constantly in order to grow in our faith. We like things for free. What's been given to us for free is our salvation. And that even wasn't free because Jesus paid a high price for that. And we're called to be constantly disciplined in our pursuit of God. But discipline also, like we said, involves hard work, which is the second thing we get from this. Paul says to Timothy, we labor and we strive, verse 10. These words are used often um, on wrestlers and, and, and athletic contests where you've got to try and overcome with strength your opponent. So this means this discipline doesn't come easy. If it comes easy to you, that's fantastic. But to most people in this auditorium, discipline in pursuing God and prioritizing God does not come easy. It is not a spiritual gift. Discipline is not a spiritual gift. We're not born with discipline. We have the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, which helps us to be disciplined. But discipline has to be developed. By definition, discipline means acting against your feelings because you have a higher goal. I have a higher purpose. I have a higher goal. And so I'm disciplined in achieving this. But I've noticed this, and I don't know if you've noticed this as well, with the culture that we live in, we're often encouraged to embrace our feelings. Feelings become the indication of reality and what's right. And we have to nurture our feelings and make sure we feel good. As if we don't feel good, we might suffer some psychological harm. And so we, we were there to nurture our feelings. But for me in my life, I know that most of the good things that I've needed and have received from the Lord have come by Him because of my pursuit of Him. And that's got nothing to do or say about me. It's got to do with the goodness of God in my life and Him honoring the process that He's called me to. And often it hasn't felt good. Right? Often we take our feelings as an indication of reality and being disciplined in pursuit of the, God isn't, of, of, of the Lord isn't always going to feel like we want it to. If we're disciplined, even though you feel like that piece of chocolate cake, right, or that lemon meringue, if your goal is to lose weight and to be fit and to be healthy, you might every now and then take it, but most of the time you're going to be like, get behind me. You can take a turn past the Freedom Bakery, but even that becomes a problem for me. If your goal is to get healthy and fit, it might not feel great to get up out of bed to wake up early, to put time and energy and effort into it so you can get other things done in the day. But you do it because you have a higher goal. You're disciplined in this thing and you're going to say no to things you feel like doing and yes to things you don't to achieve your goal. It's not always going to be easy. 
Discipline means discarding hindrances. Our pursuit of God and our prioritizing of God means discarding hindrances in our lives. Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with old wives' tales. Paul was ridiculing the endless myths and genealogies that the false teachers had been preaching and handing down to people. And this Greek word for discipline is gymnazo or gymnazo. It's where we get our word gymnasium from and its original core word comes from a word that means naked. And it was used of Greek athletes who would be training for a special event and they would strip themselves naked so that they weren't hindered by anything. They wore as very little as possible so that they weren't held back from achieving their goal. And spiritually, this applies to us. The point is, if we're going to be prioritizing God, Paul says to Timothy, make sure there is nothing that is hindering you from pursuing Him and from loving Him and from and for fulfilling the great commandments to give Him all that you have. Church, in our, in our pursuit of God, we're going to have to say no to things that hinder us from our purpose. And our purpose should be when we look at the cross and we look at what we call to, our purpose should be to prioritize God. There should be nothing higher as a priority for us in our lives. That includes all sin, obviously, but it also includes some things that are right in and of themselves, but may need to take a break. You might need to spend less time on social media or a hobby or at work or sleeping in order to get time with God. I think, I'm not a businessman, but I think, Byron, maybe you can tell me, um, in business this is called an a, a, a opportunity cost. Right? You have an opportunity for something, but it's going to cost you something. You've got to weigh up whether what you're about to take hold of as an opportunity is worth the cost of giving something else up. In our relationship with the Lord and in our walk with the Lord, there are opportunity costs that we need to be taken hold of or account of. There are going to be things that we're going to have to give up as opportunities but the cost of not taking hold of the opportunity of prioritizing God and being at His feet is far greater than taking hold of the other opportunity you were presented with. David said in 2 Samuel, this won't come up, chapter 24, verse 24, I will not offer the Lord something that has cost me nothing. I will not offer the Lord something that has cost me nothing. I had conversations with a lot of young people and we talk about the table of life. And it was an analogy given to me by a really close friend of mine. And we're speaking about the busyness of life. And it's like, life is like a table. It, it, it's not infinite. It has its ends. And we tend to stack stuff. I don't know if tables are like that in your home. But if there's empty space, something's going to be put on it. Right? No matter how much you try and clear the table, eventually there's something else put on it. And it just becomes a clutter. It's like the place where things gather. And you know, our life is like that. Where there's empty space, we're going to put stuff. We're going to put stuff. We're going to put stuff. And we feel convicted because we know we're supposed to be spending time with the Lord. And so we look at the table and generally the thing we want least on the table gets pushed aside and then we maybe slot God in there. And it was like, that might seem like a good idea, Roland, but at the end of the day, when it comes to walking life with the Lord, God is not something you place on the table. God is the table. He needs to be the table. He is the thing on which you put everything. It's not a matter of whether He's there or not. It's He is the thing you place everything on top of. Discipline means keeping our eyes on the goal. And the goal is clear. It's prioritizing God, loving Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This requires reverence from the Lord and reverence for the Lord. And reverence for the Lord overflows and translates into discipline and the, and the pursuits of God. 
This is achieved by people who take God seriously. Church, I'm not saying we don't take God seriously. I'm just saying to you, in my life, where I've moaned and complained, where I'm not experiencing God the way that I want to, and I see other people experiencing God, and I'm honest with myself, mostly, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, it's because I've been ill-disciplined in my pursuit of God. And I've just expected, in a sense, a handout from the Lord, and I haven't taken my responsibility of pursuing Him seriously and prioritizing Him I've counted the cost and sometimes found other things more valuable. Discipline means managing your time in line with your goals. This lady, Annie um, Dillard, she, she, wrote a, she wrote an article, you can read it in the Reader's Digest, but um, she, said, she said this, how we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives and how we spend our minutes and our hours is how we spend our days. The goal of prioritizing God suggests that we should be spending time with Him every day in His Word, in prayer, meditating on the truth of His Word and, um, and, and, and in prayer with the Lord and what He's saying to us. There are times, and I confess this at the 8, where I don't do that. I don't know if you can relate to that. I don't know how far I needed to go with my confession at the 8. I'll go as far with you as I did with them. There have been times where for a week, Maybe two weeks where I haven't prayed deliberately, diligently, alone before the Lord and read the Word. Long periods. And I've used the excuse, oh, being a new dad is really tough. Right? And I'm just too busy with a whole bunch of other stuff. And it's not really a question about whether I have a schedule. I, I have a schedule. All of us have a schedule. We all have the same amount of time and hours in the day. We all have time to do with what we want and what we need to be doing. The question is, how valuable is Jesus to me even in those difficult times? And am I willing to remember that he's the table and that he's my priority? But I should be spending time with him. I should be prioritizing him. And even if my prayer is, Lord, help me to pray and give me the strength to be disciplined, that's good enough than not doing that. Discipline is not, church, opposed to the grace of God. And I want to be very clear in saying this as well. Discipline is not going to be the thing that fixes your broken heart. Discipline is not going to be the thing that in, no matter how disciplined you are, you go through a rough season in life and things are difficult. People get sick. Life happens. Discipline is not the thing that fixes that. Discipline is the thing that keeps you going back to the feet of the person who can fix that and does heal that. That's what discipline does. Again, discipline is not a virtue. Discipline is not our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. We need to be disciplined to be being, being at His feet. Discipline is, is not legalistic. People will say, oh, you're speaking about discipline. You're speaking about being legalistic. You're suggesting that I've got to earn my salvation and earn the goodwill of God. Discipline is not legalistic if your motive is pure. This is why God is concerned about our hearts and He turns our hearts towards Him. If our goal, if the motive of being disciplined is to get closer to God, to experience kingdom living, and to be a diligent, disciplined disciple for the glory of His name, that's not legalistic. That's as an overflow of the grace and the mercy we've received in salvation from Jesus. Discipline is an opportunity for you to experience that which only discipline can bring. And this was a big one for me. 
John Ortberg writes a book, The Life You've Always Wanted. It's not a health, wealth, and prosperity book. It's a, it's a simpler version of a book that was written called The Spiritual Disciplines. John Ortberg writes a really good book. I can recommend it. It's called The Life You've Always Wanted, and he speaks about spiritual disciplines. But in there, he says this. Constant spiritual discipline becomes a rhythm for living in which we can grow more intimately connected to God. Through discipline, we actually are tapping into our source of strength, faith, and joy. It's how we see lives changed in ways that can seem hard to believe. In other words, without discipline, there are things we will not experience before the Lord. There's this really cool analogy, and this very clever guy said this is a picture of a bridge. This guy, Jim Rohn, said, discipline is the bridge between goals and accomplishments. I mean, so many times I've sat down with my own life and thought about what I desire and whether I'm actually experiencing them. Sat down with young people in youth ministry and they've complained and bemoaned again about their lack of experience of God and intimacy with the Lord. I want to see the Lord using me to raise the dead, heal people who are sick, make blind people see, cast out demons. I want to be used by God to, to, to see people transformed and them coming to know Him. And often, because I've been there, I know where to start and I say, well, what have you been reading lately in the word which book are you in what are you asking god for how much time are you setting aside praying and it often results in awkward silence where we both stare at each other and i know i've done it but somehow i give a moral high ground because i've learned right and they sit there going shucks if i'm intellectually and spiritually honest with myself the problem is not that this isn't available to me it's that i'm not disciplined in the pursuit of it and so people who are disciplined experience things that others don't. The bridge between what I desire and what I experience in my walk with the Lord and in life in general is discipline. I can desire something all I want, but if I'm not disciplined to go after it, I'll never achieve it and never experience it. Someone who's disciplined himself to play the piano or speak a foreign language is not restricted from doing the things that I'm restricted from doing. It's just a basic principle of life. A person who's disciplined in the pursuit of the Lord, although we both have grace, we're both saved by grace through faith alone, we both have the Holy Spirit. A Christian who's disciplined in the pursuit of God will experience far more of an empowering of the Holy Spirit in their lives and of kingdom living as it is written in the Scriptures than a Christian who's not. And I think God's heart for us churches to fan that into fame and to recognize that we can't always turn to a friend and to feel sorry for ourselves because we're not experiencing what is written in scriptures as God describes a Christian life. And we can't always blame God and say God has favored someone else over me when we ourselves have favored other things over God all the time. Jesus was disciplined. He was disciplined all the time after long nights of ministry. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, In the morning, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place and was praying there. I want to suggest that the humanness of Jesus didn't enjoy this as much as you and I don't enjoy waking up when it is still dark and going to be alone to pray after a long night of whatever it is that we were doing. But Jesus did it because he knew that discipline would be the thing that places him at the foot of the source of life for him to do ministry. Church receiving power to live a rich and exciting life from the Lord comes from the Lord. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't, you don't just get it. 
God rewards those who diligently pursue Him. And the difference between an average Christian life and an exciting, spirit-filled, empowered life is discipline to seek God and to ask Him for those things and to prioritize God. The last two things for this morning that discipline is not. Discipline is not driving yourself relentlessly to the point of burnout. Some people get so obsessed with discipline. You can see it in the sporting arena, exercise, diet, and all this. You get so disciplined, you actually start to harm yourself. And it's not discipline anymore. It becomes legalism and it becomes destructive. So we need to find a balance in our lives that Scripture teaches us where when, we, when we're working, we work hard. And when we play, we play hard. When we're working, we work hard. And when we rest, we rest well. But they're so disproportionate in this culture, in our lives, in this community. There's so much burnout and so much busyness that there's even very little time to rest. A disciplined Christian works hard, knows when to work, and knows when to rest. And I've often found this very, very easy to accept because it releases me from responsibility that isn't mine. God is the one who's sovereign and does all the work. God is the one redeeming people. Yes, he uses me as his hands and feet. But by his grace, when I take a break and I relax, the world isn't going to fall apart because Roland isn't working. The world is not going to fall apart because you don't work when you're not supposed to be working. God has got it. It's his responsibility. And the kingdom work is for us to do with him, but he does the empowering and it's for his glory anyway. God's got it. You can rest and be disciplined in that. The last thing is this discipline is not being so rigid that we're so insensitive to what God is actually doing. It's good to be disciplined. It's good to be disciplined and to pursue God and to prioritize God. But the flesh can abuse the goal of being disciplined and become rigid and hard and we think it's discipline, but we end up missing out on what God actually wants us to be experiencing. For example, my children, come; they don't believe in knocking right on doors. So they'll just come busting into a room, David and Abby. Daddy, Daddy, look what we've made for you. Look what we've made for you. And it will be something horrendous, like a mud pie with flowers or something like that, right? which I've got to pretend to eat. And they'll come busting in with that, eyes gleaming, smiles wide, like, look, it's really nice. And I can be having a devotional and reading the Bible, and in that moment, I can say one of two things. I can say, that is amazing. Come show me how you've made it. Can I have a piece? Did you bring a knife? Would you like to share it with me? Thank you so much, my children. I love you. Thank you for thinking of me. Because they did when they made this. Think of me. And they come running in so excited. I can say that. Or I can say, get out of the room. Don't you know how to knock? Can't you see I'm reading the Bible? I'm spending time with God. What are you doing? Go away. I'll come see it just now. If that's my response, that's not discipline. And that's not devotion. That's rigidity to the point of missing out on what God is actually doing. And moments in life that are more beautiful than you just sitting at the desk reading the Bible at that time. We need to stop being so rigid, but I think we also need to be disciplined. Jesus was always doing the Father's will and was disciplined about prioritizing the Father, but he was also quite happy to be interrupted by people when people needed to interrupt him for the sake of the kingdom. So church, prioritizing God is going to cost. It's going to cost you time. It may cost you money. It's going to cost you other stuff on the table of life that has to be chucked off. But if God really is who he is to you, if Jesus really is your treasure, 
It's going to start to become something we see more and more often in our lives. A disciplined pursuit of prioritizing God. The beautiful irony is that as we do that, so we start to experience true joy, true fulfillment, true enrichment, true purpose, true meaning to life, true freedom, true power. Instead of the other stuff we prioritize and chase after so hard, which will be like God's word says, chaff, it's burnt up in the end days. I was listening to a story about a composer who had a really rebellious son. And the son would do the most horrible thing. His son was forced to play the piano, so he hated his father for it and lived at home for a very long time and his father couldn't get rid of him. And so he would go out partying and spending money and coming home drunk and um, would then come home late at night, 12, 1 in the morning, while him and his wife were still sleeping and he would go to the grand piano in the bottom of their two-story house and he would play a scale loud and deliberately, bang, 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 and then leave the last note out of the scale and then go to bed. And he knew it would irk his father, who was a composer, and would irritate him to the point where he couldn't sleep and he would get up and come down in his pajamas and play the last note of the scale just so that he could go to bed again. That's when I heard that story, I was reminded that God has said to me often, Roland, this story is like your relationship with me. And the missing note in your life sometimes, the, way, the reason why the day doesn't feel complete, and sometimes you miss out on stuff that I have for you is because you've chosen to prioritize other things. And if you're just disciplined in your prioritizing of me, things would be different. So with that, I want to I pray for us. And I know hearing about discipline and being challenged to pursue God isn't necessarily the easiest of things to swallow. But I really believe God has called us to life of prioritizing church and being disciplined in the pursuit of Him. As we start to do that, so we'll start to see breakthrough in areas perhaps that you haven't experienced breakthrough because you, for the first time, finally come into the place where that breakthrough comes from. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you for your words. Lord, thank you for the life that you've given us. And Jesus, just want to pray that you begin and continue to refine us and transform us from the inside out. And Lord, may we be disciplined as people, structured and ordered in our approach and our pursuit of you and our prioritizing of you, Lord. It costs so much to miss out on doing that. And Lord, the things, the price tags that we've got to look at and consider paying to spend time with you, Lord, may they pale in comparison always to the blessing of being at your feet. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Lord, may we be a community of people who know what it means to embrace truth and grace, to be disciplined and also to be free, not to be rigid, not to be legalistic, but blessed, Lord, in your name. Amen.